Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. And this is part 24 in our 3,726 part series where we randomly select a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, do some research, and then tell you what we thought and learned. I think in honor of this being episode 24, we should just do this entirely in real time. Like the TV show uh, like the 24 TV show. that I never ever watch. That's fine. You don't need to watch it. To I, I get just, the gist. This is going to be a four hour long episode and uh, two thirds of it is going to be us just silently watching silently a movie watching and a movie. clicking around the internet. Uh, yep. So uh, don't fast forward through that because there, <laughs> there might be some hidden treasures in that. that I think part. the best part is when we're creating the Google Docs file where we're adding our notes and uh-huh. we're both entering things. Silently. And then we make a comment, but we don't finish it. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I was just going to type. I, but, well, and then we go back to whatever we're doing. Yep, indeed. So the whole gist of our podcast is that we select a moot. Stanley. A cat at random. To beat them. We randomly select which of the cats is getting beaten. So our, our main role is that we have to watch the movie that we pick at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Unless it's something we've already seen. Um, there are several other rules that we've decided on. You can find those listed on our website if you're curious. Otherwise, we'll just invoke them as needed. So last week, it was my turn to pick. In our last episode, we watched and talked about Samurai Fiction, uh, which we both really enjoyed. Yeah, 1998 parody homage to Samurai movies. A pretty good influence on Kill Bill. One of the influences on Kill Bill, at least. Yep. So, um, so that was Tara's pick, and now it is my turn to pick. And I've had a really bad track record, just generally, I think. So we'll we'll see yeah. how this goes. And yeah, yeah. Let's let's just do this. Get this over Rip with. The bandaid Rip off. The bandaid off. Yeah. All right. Close your eyes. Eyes are closed. Here we go. Open. Yeah, I'm doing it slowly. So. Yes. All right. So, uh, in keeping with watching things from crazy different genres, uh, this one's a spaghetti western from 1967. Okay. It's called Hellbenders Mm -hmm. and was directed by Sergio Carbucci. Here's what the guide has to say about Hellbenders. This film has one of the most shocking introductions you're likely to see in any spaghetti western. Cotton plays a diehard confederate interested in reigniting the Civil War who leads an ambush against a federal gold transport. After gunning down every single man in the convoy, this Confederate veteran and his sons gun down their own hired hands to keep all the gold for the cause. They spend the rest of the film smuggling the gold to the south in a coffin, pretending to be returning a Confederate soldier to Tennessee for burial. They go through a variety of fake widows who help along the way, as they all narrowly avoid Yankee detection. Eventually, they bump into a priest who knew this Tennessee soldier and wants to bury him himself, gripping action by one of the masters of spaghetti westerns. Well, it sounds like an interesting premise. I don't know how shocking that opening is going to be since we don't have any spaghetti western frame of reference to hold yeah. up against. But yeah, it sounds sounds promising. Not another junk man or fucking whatever. What was some other terrible movie I picked? I don't know. There's, there's been plenty. So many. So many. Yeah. So many. Um... Okay, so, yeah, we will be back after this musical interlude with our thoughts on Hellbenders. Hellbenders. On Hellbenders. Hellbenders. 
Alright, so we are now back having watched The Hellbenders. So as always, our ratings are on a five-point scale. In order from worst to best, don't watch. Maybe don't watch. Eh. Maybe watch. And the best possible rating you could possibly strive for, don't not watch. The gold standard of our uh, rating scale. The pinnacle of all movie ratings. So on the count of three, shall we give our rating? Do you have one in mind? Uh, Yes. Okay. Ready. Okay. One, two, three. Maybe watch. So I was also torn between maybe watch and eh. Yeah, that's... could go either way pretty easily i think i was leaning towards the eh for a lot of the movie but um thinking about it after i felt like i could bump it up a notch but yeah that's fair it's a toss-up it really is a toss-up um and i'm sure we'll get into our reasons why as we talk about the plot um but first off i think we should maybe give a little summary of the genre spaghetti westerns for anybody who might not be aware like neither of us really were yeah i mean we had vague ideas and um i didn't see any spaghetti in this movie so i I think uh it's not not a very apropos name well not necessarily um just imagine sitting around a campfire (laughs) eating slipping up spaghetti but instead of those baked beans yeah it's just Cans of Chef Boyardee Spaghetti-O Westerns. Yeah. (laughs) Anachronistic uh, product placement be damned. They just put the (laughs) Chef Boyardee in there. Yep. Okay, yeah. So, do you want to... So, Spaghetti Westerns are generally so-called because they're produced and directed by Italians. And often, what I could find was that Spaghetti Westerns are generally co-productions between multiple countries. Typically, Spain and Italy, but there are several others. So one way that they differ, apart from the fact that they're made by Europeans and filmed in Europe, usually in southern Spain or possibly in Italy, popularly um, the Tabernas Desert was used in southern Spain because it was imagined to look a lot like New Mexico and, and that sort of area. They often tend to be more violent than American-produced westerns, and they usually had low budgets and were filmed with international casts. So a lot of Italians and there were some American actors and the movie we just saw, one of the actresses was from Brazil. So And I think it was uh, Spain. It was uh, Sergio Leone and then the director of this movie, another Sergio, Sergio Carucci, mm-hmm. who came up with the idea of spaghetti westerns when they were filming some other film together in, in Spain. And they're like, this looks like what... Texas looks like to their whatever, to the best of their to the best of their knowledge, and so like why maybe we should do a western. I think the the quote was something like if Germany can make westerns, why can't we make westerns? Yeah, and I didn't realize that Germany was making westerns first. Of yeah, all. for sure. Um, there, what I found was that there were quite a lot of countries um, outside of America making westerns, and actually it started pretty early, like the late eighteen hundreds. And in fact, the first Italian who made a western was like in nineteen. 19- five or something like really early wow so there's a lot of debate about when the first quote-unquote spaghetti western was made um because it kind of depends on what criteria you're using if you're just like saying it's a western that was made by these filmmakers in like this region or whatever you could say that there were spaghetti westerns a lot earlier but some of the things i think that really set apart uh, sergio leone and sergio carbucci 
in terms of what they were doing with the Western genres, um, I think I mentioned that they're generally more violent, so they up the violence a lot. And then some common elements that they really brought into it were interaction between cunning and irony and pathos. So essentially that there's deceits and tricks and unexpected action being taken by the hero and sarcasm. And then on the other end, there's um, terror and brutality against defenseless people and also against the hero um, after it's been revealed that he was being deceitful or, or, or engaged in some sort of double play. So I think that's kind of really what has been used to define, at least for modern film watchers, what um, spaghetti westerns are. I think um, just talking about how the hero is kind of deceitful. There was something that I was reading that talked about, I think how this movie in particular had kind of a film noir uh, aspect to it. Just yeah. like the, the imperfect, if this movie, I'm even hesitant to call them protagonists because they're all kind of shithead dirtbags for the most part. Yeah, which I'm um, sure we'll talk quite a lot about. So yeah, let, let's get into talking about the plot. So uh, like we had read from the, uh, the blurb in the guide, the movie opens up with a pretty brutal opening scene where there is this uh, gold convoy that's moving across the states and they're transporting money because it was going to be burnt for the, uh, the new money that was being printed by the government. Then they come across a wagon with this dude and this lady that they've uh, just kind of stopped by the side of the road and so the convoy stops and they go a couple of the people go and approach this other wagon and they're like what's uh what are you guys doing out here so the the guy's like oh we're we're transporting this corpse back to the south for a proper burial and uh they're like okay on your way then so the convoy carries on and then they they're ambushed by jonas and sons uh and then some hired goons and they basically slaughter everybody in the convoy just it's a, a bloodbath um, they murder everybody. Yeah, they murder everybody. Like, even the defenseless people in the convoy, they're just like, nope, you're, you're all dead. Yeah. And then they murder their hired goons. So it kind of sets the tone pretty early on that these are pretty ruthless folk that are doing this. Well, and as we quickly find out, their loyalty is to the Confederate cause. Yeah. and that's, Which is not super cool. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> gave us both pause. We're like, are we watching a movie where the protagonists are like confederate supporters like and yes yes we are then and they're not really protagonists though as no uh, like they're the focus of the movie but they're not... it'll become very clear as we keep talking about this plot they're that not they're not good they're not great people yeah. if you haven't guessed that already the fact that they're murdering people for money to help support the confederate cause yeah um and one thing i think we should note is this is after the civil war ended so the Confederates lost, yeah. and this guy Jonas is under the delusion that he can bring the Confederacy up up again to overtake the Union by getting this all this money. And he's going to lead them, and he's going to set up the new government. Like, this guy is super delusional. Yeah, very, very filled with delusions of grandeur. Yeah. So at this point, we were introduced to, um, more closely to Jonas and his three sons, Ben, Nat, and Jeff, and... The woman who is with them, this woman named Kitty, who's kind of a drunken, apparently prostitute, um, that they'd hire to pre pretend to be the widow. So they have all these banknotes. They put them in this coffin that they're carting around in a stagecoach. And that's kind of their whole ruse. They're betting that people aren't going to want to open a coffin and look at it. Look at it and, and then them, that's just like the perfect hiding spot for this money. Well, especially because the... Uh, the 
person who they say the coffin is occupied by somebody that was relatively well known in the area and who had died several months earlier and so they're probably right in assuming that people are not going to want to open up a coffin with a probably pretty badly decomposed corpse in it yeah one thing i I never really thought too much about but i don't know why people weren't surprised that there wasn't a smell because it was pretty hot yeah and again a wooden coffin right being transported it did no... have a did have a flag draped over yeah, it. So did, that's, yeah, uh... the flag probably muffled any orders. Yeah. <laughs> um, flags are well known for their smell absorption. <laughs> anyway, so Kitty, the woman who's hired to play the widow of Officer Ambrose or Captain Ambrose or whatever his name is, Ambrose Allen, she's just kind of, kind of constantly drinking and causing trouble for Jonas and his sons. Um, she tries to take off with the stagecoach at one point. Yeah. And that is the last straw after dealing with her being, being troublesome. She's just causing grief for them in general. And so she tries to like take off with the stagecoach of money. One of the brothers catches up to her and, and murders her. So now they have the problem of trying to find another woman to play a widow. Yeah, so Jonas sends Ben off to a nearby town, like, go find us a widow. And... Uh, he goes to a saloon and sees that there's this lady who is hustling people at cards. And he's like, oh, that that's the one. That's who uh, we, we need to help us with this ruse. And uh, they get into a bar brawl with the other uh, people who realize that he kind of rigs the game to make it look like she's cheating. The, the guy that she's cheating re- realizes this and it starts this big brawl and... Then Ben is like, well, let's let's get out of here. Like, this is not safe for you to be here, so you should come with me. i got something that you can help me and my family with. Of Like, we'll give you $2,000. It's like a month's work, and we'll pay you $2,000 at the end of it. And it seems like a pretty good deal, given the, the other options available to her at that point. So she goes along with them. This woman, Claire, is operating under this presumption that this guy Ben and his family are miners, and she's going to be doing something, whatever, related to mining. As Ben brings her... To the family, she realizes, oh, that's not quite the case. And at this point, she's, like, surrounded by four dudes who've got all these guns, so what's she going to do? Right. They come across a posse led by a a local sheriff who's trying to find out who massacred that group of Union soldiers who were transporting the banknotes. So she manages to throw them off by fainting dramatically dramatically on top of the uh, coffin just as they're about to pry it open and see that there's a bunch of banknotes yeah a shit ton of money in there yeah so she saves their bacon but she's not too happy with them because i think that's when she realizes that she's uh, wearing the the dress of kitty who uh is obviously now dead yeah so the sheriff um mentions that the group of people who stole the banknotes are pretty nasty people and they found the corpse of a woman so Claire's like, oh, cool. I'm wearing a dead woman's outfit. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And these guys are all murderers also. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. We'll talk more later, but Claire's like pretty much the only person in this movie worth giving half a damn about. Yeah, for sure. Thrust into a pretty horrible situation by these group of dudes. Yeah, so uh, Claire gets them out of the situation where they are stopped by the, the sheriff's posse by, by painting dramatically on the coffin. And then they like almost immediately get into another awkward situation where they roll into a town to get some supplies. And the uh, the minister of that town is like, oh, we, we knew Ambrose really well. He was here all the time. We should 
Yeah, we should have a funeral for him. Right now. Right right now. Right and, now, immediately. Come on, yeah, town. Yeah, We're having a uh, funeral. Yeah, impromptu funeral. <laughs> Everybody, let's, uh, let's go. Uh, and so the, they uh, do, like, immediately move into the church to have this funeral, and they're like, oh, and what's his face? Like, some guy from the town, he, he really knew uh, Ambrose's wife really well. We should go get him, and, you know, he would love to talk to you. So Jonas and the other dudes are like, oh, shit shit this is not gonna be good for us and so they're just like nervously waiting for uh the guy to come to the the church to meet with them and then he comes in and oh the guy actually ends up being blind so everything is fine ish yeah he somehow doesn't realize that claire's voice doesn't sound or maybe who knows by some weird fluke maybe she sounds just like this guy Ambrose's wife. Or it could have been a while since he talked to her, too. It could have. But, you know, yeah, I feel it, like I've got a pretty decent memory of what people's voices are like, yeah. even years after having talked to them. Yeah. Especially if he's blind. His hearing probably is yeah. more perceptive. And as they're leaving, this uh, dude who knew Ambrose's wife is like, oh, I've, I've got pictures uh, that you guys would probably want to have. Let, let me go back to my house and I'll get those pictures for you. Claire's like, oh, the memories would be too hard. So, sorry. So, Goodbye. Goodbye. And uh, so they, they get the hell out of there, and then uh, when they stop for the night, Jonas is like, oh. Only a couple miles outside of town. Yeah. <laughs> like three miles away from town. Right, right. So Jonas is like, oh, we didn't get any paraffin wax. Hey, Nat, you go back to town and get the wax. Yeah, Nat, you you should go back to town and get that. And like Tara and I are both like, <laughs> why is he sending his son back into this uh, this lion's den of people who probably now realize that they've probably all looked at the photos now yeah yeah or, or could have but uh as it turns out they haven't like the uh, the dude was only just getting the photos when uh nat who was not going into town to get paraffin wax but instead was uh, sent into town to wrap up that loose end uh shows up and murders him mission accomplished so he meets back up with jonas and the others and and Claire is really pissed off. Like, you guys killed this guy for no reason. You could have just taken the photos. Like, he was blind. Why did you, you know? So she's, like, extra pissed. So Claire, she's pissed off with everybody and decides to go take, like, a quick bath in a, a little stream nearby. And so she takes off and does that while the rest of the guys are just kind of, like, preparing to set off again. And Jeff stalks after her and uh, tries to rape her. Until Ben comes by and, and manages to pull Jeff off Claire. And then they start fighting. Yeah. And eventually Jonas and the others show up. They break him up, get him to stop fighting. And Jeff doesn't really face any repercussions. He's like, all. oh, that's no. just rapey Jeff. That's just what he does. Oh, rapey Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not... Not great. Not great. Not great. No. <sighs> yeah. So they continue on when they are attacked by a group of Mexican banditos. But luckily at that point, the U.S. Cavalry shows up and takes out the banditos. Um, and takes one of them back with them, like yeah. captures one of them alive to be hung. So the family's like, okay. They're invited to the fort, which happened to be the fort that this Captain Ambrose had commanded. Right. And at first, like, Jonas and the, the other dudes are like, oh, no, we can't stay here. And no, we're in a hurry. We got to get back home. Yeah. But then Claire's like, oh, I, I would love to see the oh, place where my husband like, was. Yeah. I'm really tired, too. Uh, so, yeah, I really want to see where Ambrose was. Yeah. And the, and the family has to go along with it. Yeah. What can they do? 
they're all stuck at this point. So the cavalry takes them into the fort. And Clara's like, you know what? I really want my husband to be buried here in the fort that he commanded once. Immediately. Yeah. And so Jonas and his sons are just like, what the fuck is she doing? And the hate in Jonas's face. Yeah. As um, the cavalry's like, yeah, of course. Of course we'll bury him here. And so they dig up the grave. And, and uh... They bury the coffin full of banknotes. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops. Whoops. And then this is where Claire, she already was my favorite person in this whole movie, but it's just like, yep, nope, she's cool. Yeah. Actually has agency in the, yeah. in the movie to fuck these assholes over. Yep. So. And Ben at this point is kind of, he's, I guess it was kind of established that he was always distant from the rest of them. But uh, at this point, after saving her from jeff is he's become pretty enamored of her yeah so they're obviously now in love because that's how how love works they leave the fort and ben's like okay claire and i are gonna take off now when he's gone when he's gone there's no point blah 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 you know you guys do what you're gonna do i'm taking off with claire our part's done goodbye and jonas is like uh no i'm staying here with claire i'm keeping an eye on her you three you're going back to the fort and you're gonna dig up that coffin and so they uh, they go back. They're like, oh, okay, this must be the, the grave. This is where like the, the soil is still pretty fresh. So let's they dig it up. They're like watching out for the guards, and then they somehow manage to dig up the coffin and drag it out of there. And undetected, like, undetected. Yeah, I mean it's it's raining, so there's I guess some cover based off of that. Like it's gonna cover some of the noise that they would have been making, but still pretty difficult thing to pull off. Like they did. And so they get back to uh, uh, where Jonas and Claire are waiting and claire is super sick by this point already so jonas while they were gone like whipped her a bit made her stay sitting outside in the outside of the cave out exposed to the storm and so she's pretty ill with pneumonia yeah so they they got the coffin back they're like all right let's let's get out of here we're just gonna cross the the hondo river and then we'll be home free The, the five of them leave and they stop to camp for a night and this beggar shows up out of nowhere and he's real playing up like being really pathetic and desperate just begging for scraps of food and begging to be allowed to sleep in their camping area which is not like it's not covered or anything i guess i don't know like well he's like shoeless and so he's saying like my feet i'm so they're so sore just let me rest yeah and so after they're kind of beating on him a little bit they're like all right fine just you know stay there don't get in our way you can you can sleep there and uh so they all go to sleep and then they wake up and oh a lot of their horses are suddenly dead uh out of nowhere and then they realize that the beggar has one of their guns and he's got a train on them and he's like all right give me all of your give me all your shit i'm i'm taking all this stuff all your boots and your gun belts and like more than he can reasonably carry with him yeah. on, on his own and so eventually he's like well you know what i'm gonna need something to carry this in so let's crack open that coffin and dump that body out and we'll uh we'll just use that to, to haul all my stuff away we'll attach it to this one horse that's that i've left alive and i'll ride off into the sunset so there's a tussle like one of the sons ends up killing him and then they are like well all of our horses are dead there's no way that we're gonna get be able to get back home like this so they they send um old Reapy Jeff off back to the Native American tribe that they had passed earlier to buy some horses from them. And so... He just, like, suddenly comes, like, running back to camp without horses. Like, oh, 
oh, they didn't have any horses. Let's go. Yeah. And, and then, like, immediately following him were um, a bunch of dudes from this tribe, like, nah-uh-uh. So the chief from this tribe throws a bloody bayonet over to Jonas and is like, so your son uh, raped, then murdered my daughter. Uh, so I want him. He's coming with us. And the brothers, so Jeff and Nat get into this scrape because Nat's like, uh-uh, this is no good. And the two of them end up, like, killing each other and also shooting Ben. And, yeah. like, there's this whole big fight that happens in the family. And then the, and the chief sees and like, oh. Well, never mind. Never Problem mind. solved. Good. Problem yeah. solved. Goodbye. Yeah. And so now it seems like it's just uh, Jonas and Claire at this point. And Jonas uh, had been shot by the chief at some point or one of the other. Yeah, somehow in this whole scuffle. Or maybe it was the beggar that shot him. I can't remember. Oh, I think it was the beggar. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was the beggar. Yeah, so he's like not in great shape, but somehow he musters the strength to haul the coffin up this it seemed like it was a relatively steep hill so i don't know like i wouldn't be able to do that if i I was at my best fit self but uh somehow this wounded old dude is drags this coffin up the side of this hill his hold on the coffin slips and it goes sliding down the hill it crashes open and dun 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 it was the corpse of the bandito yeah, the the bandito that the cavalry had taken with them and hung and buried at the same time as they'd buried the coffin that Jonas had with them. Oops, looks like they, they got the wrong coffin. Oh. So at, th- at this point, Ben, who is not... Uh, ben is recovered. He, he was shot, but he's not injured that badly. He's, he's okay enough to see what's going on. He's like, oh, shit, I got the wrong coffin. And... Uh, and Jonas kind of is just looking at this like, well, that's pretty much it for me. And he rolls off to die, like falls into the river and, and dies. And, and that's basically it. Yeah. Just uh, ben, and, ben and Claire are still <laughs> left alive. Yeah, but who knows if they're going to survive right. because she's really ill yeah. and he's Wounded. got a wound. Yeah, not, not a great prognosis for anybody <laughs> in the movie. Right. Considering that, maybe I was slightly unfair to give it a eh versus a I, maybe I, watch. I feel like, you know, early on when it wasn't really totally established that these guys were not the heroes or yeah. not being portrayed positively, like I was like, eh, I don't know about this movie. But uh, by that point, yeah, when they were all pretty much doomed to death. Yeah, that's true. Know, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is not uh, a pro-Confederacy story. Right. At all. Like these dickholes are getting exactly what they deserve this movie still doesn't treat women <laughs> no it's, well at all yeah so yeah that that is a definitely a fair yeah like especially kitty at the very beginning she was right. like the epitome of of like a harpy or like a shrill caricature like i'm gonna be drinking and i can't whatever you can't rely on me for anything and i'm yeah. gonna take off with your money right and claire still ends up being like yeah no i'm in love with ben and who's not he's like sort of depicted as the good son but at the same time he never stops having loyalty to his shitty dad yeah or his brothers brothers. that's that's what gets him shot like he gets in the way of he's like you guys we're still brothers can't do this to each other yeah i still have to well and like no that was the thing like the chief wanted to take rapey jeff yeah and ben's like no you're still my brother you're a shithead but you're my brother like no and that's like, you yeah, take are, him. Take him, take him. 
are you are you kidding me like how are you the good brother yeah yeah so they're like everybody in that family are just bad to differing degrees but it is the least bad but still still bad still bad they could have broken from what they thought was tradition enough to yeah i mean they, they could have but it, this is like the film industry still and it's yeah like foreign it's film industry so like, yeah that's n- true did not put a lot of value in women still don't still even don't. in our film industry i would yeah i would say is a, a safe claim to make uh yeah for sure so the fact that they did not give her true i mean i think they gave her a lot more agency than they made her a tougher figure than like maybe then i was anticipating yeah like the when she said to bury the coffin at the port i was just like god damn yeah and and then when they're writing away afterwards and she's like i don't care what they do to me that was worth it like okay yeah you know that that is impressive i guess it's a low bar for them to it's clear. a low bar it's a very low bar that they cleared and they just barely cleared that low bar <laughs> i was just gonna say not not related to women but just like also all the actors who played native americans were very very clearly not native american so again this movie was filmed in 1966 and released in 67 so at the time this was pretty common that they weren't giving roles to people that actually belong to specific communities or heritages or whatever right and again still isn't (laughs) still yeah still we still don't do that we still have that wrong yeah so it was pretty it's a definite knock against it yeah for sure it's something that you have to discuss and weigh how much that's gonna impact how you feel about a movie for those kinds of things yeah for sure so i think that's that is kind of why i was waffling on the fence between eh and maybe watch it, it is an enjoyable movie it is um particularly once you realize that it, this movie isn't sympathizing with the confederates yeah so, found out a few things about the movie. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, again, going back to the Quentin Tarantino well for this movie, he was a pretty big fan of the movie. He included it in the first Quentin Tarantino film festival that he did in <laughs> Austin back in 1996. And I mean, <laughs> I know that he's in love with himself, but really just naming the film festival after himself, it's a bit much. He liked the movie a whole lot, and he actually included it in his list of top 10 westerns that he'd seen. And the reason why he felt it was worth including is kind of like we were talking about. The quote that we found was that uh, he said that the great thing about it, the great thing is this is a Western with no heroes in it. Everybody is a bad guy. There's a gal in it who's more of a victim, but everybody is fucked up. I was like, yep, that's uh, it's a pretty accurate uh, analysis. Yeah, I've got nothing wrong with anti-heroes and showing them, especially when you're not trying to glamorize it. Right. You know, Quentin Tarantino did Django Unchained. And that was kind of at least uh, partially an homage to Sergio Cabrucci's uh, probably most famous movie that he did, which was just called Django and was released in 1966, I believe. So right before this one came out. And so in Django Unchained, uh, Quentin Tarantino actually used pieces that were in the the score from Hellbenders. So uh, Albert Band was the producer of the movie, and he he had a pretty kind of long and varied career in uh, filmmaking he was working up until like the, the late 90s i think is what i saw and um a lot of his movies were maybe not so great especially in his later years but one of the movies that i saw that he produced was the uh terrible but still compelling horror movie terror vision where like a satellite dish monster terrorizes his family it's been a while since i've seen it i like i, I watched it it was one of the movies that my uncle bob rented for me when i was like nine 
so he did uh, the movie Terror Vision, and then he also did uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. So that kind of gives you an idea of the, the oeuvre. Kid or kids? Kid. Oh. Yeah, it just was one kid. Got blued up. The kids got shrunk. The kid got blew up. Okay. Yeah. So Joseph Cotton, um, the actor who played Jonas in The Hellbenders, was cast in a very similar movie that was filmed right before or right after yeah, it's, it's uh, kind The of... Hellbenders. They were kind of like back to back. Right. And it was called The Tramplers, um, and it was also written by the same guy, and also was about a family post-Civil War having difficulties with accepting having lost the war. Yeah. So, kind of a, a be, weird thing to be... To be making multiple movies on. Yeah. Like, what's going on? There was uh, Albert Band, actually, who was yeah, at Albert least Band. one of the co-writers uh, right. for, for both of those, and it's like, what? Obviously, we haven't seen The Tramplers, so I don't know how it treats them. Maybe it's similar where where they're not sympathetic, but just kind of a funny thing to be fixated on. Right. I don't know how how you think I'm going to make two movies about this sort of like general plot. Well, especially in like the mid late sixties, mid to late sixties, like, when the civil rights movement was. Yeah. Really. So yeah, it's weird. It's it's very weird. I don't yeah. I don't know what what the thinking was there, but um, just thought we'd worth mentioning yeah um and the last thing i I wanted to end on uh we found this pretty great quote so sergio cabrucci was asked at one point if he felt bad about making several bad movies and he said yes i'm ashamed but when i go to the bank counting my money i'm not ashamed anymore (laughs) fair enough yeah fair enough all right yeah so i guess on that that was the hellbenders yeah so that wraps it up for this episode uh if you want to Keep on top of our episode releases. You can either follow our Facebook group, Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, or uh, we always make a blog post when we release an episode at our website, TaraAndAndrewVersus.com. You can also send us an email if you have any comments or feedback on the show to TaraAndAndrewVersus at gmail.com. And then if you wanted to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that through uh, iTunes and Google Play and all the, the other podcast acquisition Programs, systems, networks, whatever. Thank you to the terrific Seattle band Boat for allowing us to use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. Thank you, Boat. Thank you, Boat. Uh, One other thing I wanted to say is if you're able to, we would highly encourage you to support local independent movie stores. For us in in Seattle, um, obviously, go check out Scarecrow and and see what they've got. They've got an amazing selection. Yeah, and there's other great video stores uh, across the the states, too. So if you are able to, you should definitely give them your money. Uh, They need it. Yeah, Scarecrow was on the verge of closing a few years ago, but it's currently operating as a nonprofit, and they do drives a couple times a year. So if you're local and you're so inclined and have the ability to consider becoming a member yeah yeah and so until next time uh, catch you later potato heads catch you later potato heads